All right, so happy birthday, Grove. We are, yeah, yeah, we are five years old, and I want to tell you, this has been some of the most rewarding and difficult and challenging years of my life by far. It has been amazing, and it has been very hard, personally and in ministry. And the thing is, when we see the church the way we're saying it ought to be, we are, we're five, and we are ready to start kindergarten. We have been dropped off, and we are heading out into the unknown, ready to face whatever is before us, and there, in the unknown, become who we are made to become. Now, it sounds funny when you think of a little five-year-old starting kindergarten and seeing that as going out into the unknown, but for that little kid, that is the unknown, because they're looking back at their mother, likely, who's in tears, but they step forward, and they take their steps for what's next, not knowing what's to come, but they do it true for you individually. Because if you want to meet God, the place to meet him is there out in the unknown, not in the safe spaces. And the reason that is the case is because out in the unknown, you become more vulnerable, you become more in need, and you also become more open to being rescued. And so we've got to get out there into the unknown. And the reason the church exists is to help you find who you really are by not looking within but by going out in the unknown and looking for something that's greater than you. And there in finding him, he makes you great. So we are in our series called Playlist, The Road Home. And what we've been doing is exploring how these Israelites, up to three times a year, you know what they did? They took this pilgrimage. They took a pilgrimage all the way up to Jerusalem, the city of God, and then they would travel up to Mount Zion, which is the Mount of Joy. So Jerusalem represents the city of peace, the eternal city. Mount Zion represents the eternal joy that you are made for. And they would take this journey up to three times a year, but in order for them to go there, to find peace and to find joy, they did have to leave. They had to go out in the unknown. They had to leave their comfortable homes and go into the area that's the in-between. And today, well, we do something similar to that. And today especially, we're going to move out of the book of Psalms, and what we've been, and the Psalms we've been looking at are called the Psalms of Ascent. Ascent technically means pilgrimage. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a step out of the Psalms and we're going to go to Isaiah 61, which is where the name the Grove Church comes from. And we've done this every birthday. And every year it seems like we're finding something greater about this chapter, And today we're going to discover something we would not have discovered had we not been in this series looking at this pilgrimage because we keep talking about this place called Zion, this Mount of Joy. And what we find today in our verses is that Zion, the place of joy, the ultimate outpouring of God, that mountain has been burned to ashes. And for people that this was written to, I mean, this is a nightmare. This is a great devastation because the place of joy in their hearts has been burned away. And the city of peace is on fire. And as they leave the city, they look back and they see all of their dreams up in flames. Because the dragon from the city of Babylon, that evil king 
Nebuchadnezzar has come in and has taken it all from them. And some of them have been forced to leave, and some of them are staying there in this city that looks apocalyptic. Now, let, here's, here's why this is so important for you in your life and for the life of the church, because Isaiah 61, this is about the church today. Eden has gone up in flames, and paradise has been lost. And if you're saying, I think I'm kind of happy though, David, you have no idea the joy that you are made for. And if you today will climb up this mountain to Mount Zion, you're going to find a joy that is coming to you in the future that is so wonderful that it gives you joy today. It's like joy is reversing itself from the future and coming in and inhabiting today because you're seeing it, you're picturing it, you're knowing what is to come. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go find this Mount Zion. And we're going to bring it into our lives, but then we're going to also bring it into the city because God's got some work for us to do. So Isaiah 61 Verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Now, our first point is from beauty to ashes. The Bible is one of the most honest books that I know of. And it's also one of the most loving books that I know of. When it speaks of your sin, it will make you cringe. And when it speaks of grace, it will make you want to worship God. And it's because there is no book like it. Because it is literally beauty that is coming down from heaven into the ashes. And I want to tell you this, usually you will not discover the Bible to be what it claims to be unless you realize you are in the ashes. And then you start reaching for the beauty of it all. And Zion was beautiful. And Jerusalem was the city of all cities. And it's not because of its physical beauty, it was because of its spiritual wonder. Because what was happening is there was a hole that was literally ripped open at the top of Mount Zion, and there the presence of God would come down and give joy to all those there, and then that joy would depart and trickle through all the nooks and crannies of the city. The impossible had happened, and God has made his home there in the world. Not fully, but in part. And it gave the city complete gladness and joy. And our verses, though, are saying, look at what hap what's happened to them. Their heads are covered in ashes, meaning the city has just been caught on fire, and all of the ashes that have been up in the air have fallen down on its people, and they look like they have been in a war zone, and it's because they have. Everything's been devoured. The dragon of death has flown over the city. And all that is left is the smells of a city that's, that's burned, 
and seared flesh. And those who have made it out of this alive are either living in this apocalyptic city of ash or they have been exiled from the city, driven to Babylon where they would be imprisoned in this like prison of an evil city. And they look back and they see their city in flames. All joy lost. And perhaps they're thinking, maybe it would have just been better if we had not known this joy and this peace because it feels like so much has been stolen from them. And it is true. Take a poor man's wealth and you haven't taken much from him. But if you take a rich man's wealth, it feels like you've taken his very life. And this was true for God's people because they were exiled. And many generations later, they would return to the city. And it was being rebuilt. And as it was being rebuilt, those who are young, they looked at the city and they were full, filled with joy. But there were those who were very old. And they had seen the old city. And when they got there, they wept. Because it was nothing compared to what was. Now listen to this. Here's what it means for you. Do you know why they're weeping? Because the city has not really returned. Do you know how that city returns? It returns by us today. Isaiah 61 is a message for you. It's a message for me. It's a message for that we are the ones who are meant to rebuild. And until we rebuild, there will be weeping over all the earth. Our verses call these people today, back then and us today, brokenhearted. And it means that they're crying out in pain because things are not the way they should be. How many times have you said that? And when it says they're poor, it means they're spiritually poor. But do you know what spiritual things do? They affect you in every way. And so they're physically bankrupt. They're emotionally bankrupt. They're socially bankrupt. And they're culturally bankrupt because they're, spirit, they're spiritually poor. And when it says they're prisoners... It means they are bound in a prison that is an absolute foreign land and they cannot get out of it and they long for the day that they get to go home. It's a work of a great evil and it is very relevant for us today because it's describing our scenario. Whether you want to open up your eyes and see or open up your ears and hear, it is true. So the question now becomes what brought about this fire to this city? Because couldn't God have just rescued his people? Why would God let this happen to him? Why would God allow this ancient dragon king, Nebuchadnezzar, come in and wipe everything out? Why has their joy and peace been burned away? Second point is the fire. I want you to know there's, some, there, there's something that, I don't know if you realize it, I, I hope you will after today. There's a pattern that sets place in your life. That when you push God out, you have now made yourself vulnerable to the dragon. To the dragon of sin, to the dragon of death. In fact, what's, what's interesting is this dragon gets attracted to you when this happens. And look at what God's people did. So you got this evil king Nebuchadnezzar coming in, but... But before Nebuchadnezzar came in and set the city aflame, there was a small spark that God's people were starting. They were pushing God out. And the same thing is true for all of us. When we push God out, just a small little push, what you've done is you started a flame, and that dragon of death and sin is attracted to that flame. 
and it's ready to fly down and steal everything from you, your joy and your peace. It's ready to take it. And so the chapters just before this one are setting up what we're supposed to hear. So do you know what they say in chapters 56 through 59? It says that God's people, no matter how hard they seem to try, they can never seem to be righteous. To be righteous means a lot of things in the Bible. In our context, it means that you have not become who you're made to become. You've become unrighteous because you've pushed the God of righteousness out of your life. And I want you to do something right now. Search yourself. Within you, you have a desire for God. But you also have a desire for sin. And as that desire for sin grows, what you're going to begin to start seeing yourself doing is pushing God out of your life a little bit more and a little bit more. And you know why that is? Because when God comes into your life, he pushes your sin out. And if you begin to love your sin more than you love God, which we all do, then you will be forced to push God out so you get to keep your sin. So uh, this is a great problem. Let me just be vulnerable with you. So in many ways... I have gone all in with Christ. I've had moments of great clarity where I'm like, I'm all in, God, whatever the risk is, let's go, I'm ready to do this. But here's what happens. Once you go all in with him, you realize, I actually wasn't all in. There was still parts of me that I wasn't actually going all in with. And so now there's a constant calling to continue to go all in with him. And as you do, you will grow more and more. Now, so here's what I keep telling myself. So I'm a fresh 39 years old. I don't know why that was funny. I'm a fresh 39 years old. I'm proud of this. Um, Next year I will be 40. And I keep telling myself that as soon as I hit 40, I'm going to really go all in with God. Now, what is that? Like, I'm holding out. I feel myself holding out. And I have no idea why. But I know one thing. That is me giving a little bit of a foothold. That is me inviting the dragon into my life. And so this sermon has to be a warning to me that I better go all in or else there's going to be this dragon that continues to fly overhead that's watching me, prowling, ready to pounce on me. So, for you, find the sin in your life that you most want. And kill it before it kills you. Now some of you are pyromaniacs. You are the dragon of your own life. The dragon is flying overhead and looking down and seeing you set your life on fire. And saying, I've got nothing to do here. There's a little dragon down there doing all the work for me. I don't need to get involved with that person's life. So what's happening is you're dancing around the flame, you're dancing around this disaster, but you don't realize is that the dragon flies overhead. So you do it a little bit or you do it a lot. Either way, there's a dragon watching. And I could name right now a whole bunch of sins that I'm sure you are struggling with and a whole bunch of things that you know you should be doing in your life that you aren't doing, but I don't think I need to do it because you already know it. And if you're a Christian, the Bible says the Spirit of God lives within you. And the Spirit of God is teaching you what is good and right. And so whatever it is that you ought to do, go and do it. And whatever you should stop doing, just stop doing it. Now that's far easier said than done, and and perhaps that's your pilgrimage. 
But it's time to stop making these small fires. Because eventually they're going to get out of control. And you know what it's time to do? Go out into the unknown and there meet with God. Climb up to Mount Zion and start rebuilding your life, rebuilding your family, rebuilding yourself into who you've been made to become. It's time to become the real you. So I want you to picture you where you are today. And then there's the picture of you in eternity, you becoming who you've always been made to become. And I want you to look at that picture of you and aim at it. And you say, well, how do I get there? Well, that's the rest of the sermon and the rest of your life, really. So here's our next point. Point three, from ashes to beauty. What must you become? Oaks of righteousness. So the grove, a grove. So you travel to Mount Zion, you take root, and then God begins to grow you. You have to uproot yourself, though, from the foreign world, from the foreign land, from your home here in this world. And then you see, you know what it says in in chapter 1 of Isaiah? It talks about these trees. It's setting us up again. These trees in Isaiah 1 have been burnt to a crisp. And so you go from these trees that are in ashes to then being plucked up and planted on Mount Zion and then flourishing. And so you're leaving your old life behind, and you're becoming something new. Now, this image of oaks of righteousness, this place in verse 3 where it says oil of gladness, this is about a party, because back then, before you went to parties, you'd put an oil on, getting ready to have a whole bunch of fun. It's just a perfume. You're getting ready to party. You're smelling all good. You're putting perfume on. You're putting cologne on. You're like, ready to party. Here it comes. And then it says garments of praise. Now, this is an a clothing that's an outward expression. You're getting dressed up because, you're, because there's something in you that's ready to party. And so this outward expression of clothing is already true of an inward joy that's within you. Now, you are obsessed with joy in your life. You want it so bad. Praise. You want to find someone who's found joy. I mean real joy. They're in real authentic praise of God. Because joy is the finish line No, praise is the finish line of joy. So what happens is you go up to this mountain and you start, there's this hole that's cut into heaven and the joy of God starts pouring into your life and it's filling you up and you begin to be filled up so much that there's nothing left for you to do but erupt. And when you erupt, it comes out as praise and worship of God. And that's why it says in verse 3 that he may be glorified. Now, I don't know if you know what that means, but it means that you are the very glory of God. And the other way that this could be translated in this this context is beauty. So you are the very beauty of God. So what happens is you're up on this mountain, and you're taking in all the pleasures of who God is and what he's done for you, and it's filling you with joy. And then you look down at the city that's been turned to ashes, and you say, i got to go do something about this. And the joy that is within you compels you to go down. And as you go down, the city looks on. And you are the glory of God that's coming down the mountain, the beauty of God that's coming down the mountain, because within you is the very joy of God. This is a beautiful thing. And so you've gone out into the unknown. You've climbed the mount of joy. You meet with God. You become this oak, this unmovable tree, And then you move yourself down the mountain for the sake of the city, for the sake of your family, so the sake of your life. So you go up the mountain, you meet with God, 
You come back down and rebuild your life. You go up, and you keep doing this. You're like, David, are you saying my life isn't all together? Yeah, I am. Because the Bible has told me what you can become. And compared to that, your life is in ruins. And so you go up the mountain. You find God, and you come down, and you rebuild your life. You go up the mountain. You cut... Come down and you rebuild your family. You go up the mountain, you come down, and you begin to do things that will echo on into eternity. Your life has so much meaning in it if you will go up that mountain because then you're taking the stuff of eternity and you're bringing it down into the city. And there in the city, you do things that will go on and on and on all the way into eternity. Rippling effects. Now, we have a problem here because the, the, these verses have just told us that we are held captive in a foreign land. So how, you can't even go out into the unknown if you're in a foreign land that's captive. So what do we do? Well, here's our fourth point, the planting. Our verse is saying that because of our rebellion from God, we've pushed him away, disaster has come, and that disaster has pressed us out into a foreign land where we have become prisoners. But then our great verses show there is one who will come. And when he does, he will be the hero that sets us free. You know Jesus' very first sermon in the Gospel of Luke? It's right here. Isaiah 61. And what he claims when he reads that is that he is the hero who will come to set the captives free. He is the hero who will come to heal the brokenhearted. He is the hero who will come and take you and uproot you from this foreign land and climb with you up the mountain and plant you there. It doesn't say you plant yourself. It says you are the planting of the Lord. And when he plants you, you rise up like a tree, and you're given this crown of beauty. Now, now, let's go back for a second. Look at trees. What are they doing? It's like their arms are lifted up in praise. Even if you find a tree that has been knocked over, and its roots are still in the earth, eventually that tree starts curving back up like it's praising God. And we're called to do the same thing. This is what we rise up out of in our faith in the resurrection. We begin to rise up and we're filled with joy and we're praising God. And then in our verses it says, we receive a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now that, that's language of Eden. When God created us, he said, you are made in my image. And then he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have a bunch of babies, and have dominion over all the earth. Which means you are meant to be kings and queens who take Eden, the place of Eden, and make it cover all the earth. The original plan was for Eden to cover all the earth, not just some garden in one little spot, but it for, to continue to grow by us. But we pushed God out, we became corrupted. And the world turned to ashes. But now look what God's done. He's uprooted you from the ashes. He's planted you up on the mountain. And then he commissions you out again. And he says, he looks you in the eye and he says, go rebuild what you tore down. Go bring beauty up out of the ashes. Now, I know some of you and I know what you're saying right now. I can't do that. 
because I'm having trouble surviving the day. I can't even get here on time. I barely even got here at all. And there's deeper, more problematic things happening in your life. And you are saying to yourself, you're talking about rebuilding a whole city, David. That sounds impossible. I think that maybe is your job, maybe a few people here in the church, but it's not mine. And I want to tell you, if you are thinking that, you have no idea what you are capable of in Christ. He is the mountain, and he now dwells within you. So now you become a mountain in him, with him, and for him. You have no idea. So you go all in with him. You know, Jesus says, this is our growth. Jesus says in John 15 that he is the vine, we are the branches, and the Father is the pruner. And then he says something so, like, almost arrogant, but he has every right to say it. He says, you can do no good apart from me. And what he's saying is that he is the root system, and we are the tree. And without the root, root and the tree connected, the tree does no good. And when he says good, what he's talking about is Eden. He's talking about bringing Eden back. He's talking about your purpose in life. You keep trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. You bring Eden. You bring the kingdom of God, and you say to God, God, I don't know what it is, but I know I need to bring your kingdom. And so you just set out, and you start doing it, and you go out into the unknown. Stop trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life, and just go out and start. Go into the unknown, and wait and meet with God, and then just keep acting. Keep being compelled to love people well, with joy in your heart. You keep doing it, and then he, Jesus, he's going to take you up to the top of the mountain. He's going to plant you there, and then you start growing, and you know what the Father's doing? He's pruning you. He's molding you, and he's shaping you to become what he wants you to become, not what the person next to you thinks you should be, not what the person next to you is, but you, the specific you. So the question is, how do you climb that mountain? Because we're saying Christ is the one who brings you there. Well, yeah, he is. In fact, especially the first time, he's carried you up that mountain. But you have to come down the mountain and go back up and back down and back up the mountain all of your life. And so over time, you begin learning how to take steps. And then when you fall, he picks you up. So here are the three things you need to do. You want to grow in your life? I'm going to tell you the three things. They're super simple, incredibly painful. First thing. Honor the Sabbath. I'm talking about real rest, though. I'm not talking about you just coming here. I'm talking about the whole Sunday is devoted to you resting in God. Not resting away from Him. Not taking a break from Him. Not taking a break from just your work. Not taking a break from your chaotic family. I'm talking about you going to Him and resting in Him. And doing the kind of work that fills you up. So many people are like so burned out. Something that happens in ministry is people get way burned out because they're working from this place of emptiness, of a lack of rest. And if so it's a problem for church leaders, it's a problem for you. And so you take Sunday and you make it, this is my day with God. My family, don't put a bunch of pressure on it. Just go be with God and let the day be what it is. If your family starts fighting and you're like, I don't find any rest right now, just ignore that fact and just say, God, I need you right now. He is your rest, not your family being peaceful in that moment. So you come here 
And you've got to be expectant that you're going to meet with God. And together we'll meet with God. And he'll take us up the top of the mountain and we'll come back transformed. That's the first thing you've got to do. Second thing, this is the painful one, you've got to go all in with Christ. All over again. Because a lot of times what I think happens is we're sitting at the, top, at the bottom of the mountain. And we're holding on to everything. We're holding on to our sin, onto our shame, all of the stuff that we love, all of our burdens, all of our fears, and those are heavy things, and you will not climb that mountain with all those things. They're too heavy for you. So you must leave everything behind, go all in with Christ, and he will take you up the mountain. In fact, you won't get access to the mountain without him because he is the gate. And so you wait at the gate, and the gate opens as soon as you put everything down, and you go all in with him, the gate opens up, and then you travel up the mountain with him. So you got to go all in. And the last thing you need to do is just read your Bible every day. I don't know if you know what you have in the Bible, but throughout history, people have not had access to the Bible the way that you do. It was impossible to get your hands on a Bible. So if you could read, you couldn't eat, in which most many people couldn't in the past, but if you could, it, Bibles were too expensive. People in the past would think it is crazy how little we read the Bible. I mean, it's something that they would treasure. What a privilege we have. So take those habits. Make the Sabbath something real to you. Go all in. Everything that's keeping you from God, leave it behind. Your sin. I didn't, even, I didn't mention that earlier. Take your sin. The thing that you love most, more than God, leave it at the bottom of the mountain. Leave it behind. This is like what repentance is. Repentance is a turning away from your sin and turning to God. You keep like holding your sin and you're trying to pull it with you up the mountain. And you're taking all your fears and you're trying to bring them with you up the mountain. You're taking all of your stuff and you're trying to bring them with you up the mountain. Just let go. Be free. He set you free and walk up the mountain. And then come down changed. You have so much potential in you if you will just go up the mountain. Because there is where the strength of Christ is. There is where the joy of Christ is. And that joy, do you know what it will do once you get up to the top of the mountain? It will compel you to go back down. You wonder, why would I want to go back down the mountain? Because you look down the mountain and you see the ashes. And you look down at it and you say, I did that. G.K. Chesterton was asked, what's wrong with the world today? And he said, I am. We all should take responsibility for the problems of the world to some degree in a healthy way and say, I'm responsible for this. My sin has brought ruined, ruins. And we look down and out of compassion and out of a fullness of joy, we start heading down the mountain. Now, I know that sounds crazy. What would, because again, you're saying, I don't know if this is for me. This is your job, David. This is maybe a few other people's jobs, but not mine. So what compels you to do it? Well, you got to look at him. And when I say look at him, you see who he is and what he's done. And you got to see how bad your situation was. Because he heard your cries in the fire. He heard your cries in the prison. And you have cried out for him. And so what he did is he has rent open the heavens. He's opened it up. He's ripped it open and he's jumped down upon the mountain. The great joy, the great peace. Because you know Mount Zion is really him. 
It's the presence of God. Him, Christ, the presence of God. So the presence of God, watch it. It starts moving down the mountain like water flowing down and it goes out through the city. But guess what? You're not there in that city. And it keeps going out. He keeps going out on this journey, on this pilgrimage, on this grand journey that has many perils that he must face. And he gets to you in this foreign land and he finds you in chains. Your sin and to death, he finds you in this prison because you're in the teeth of the dragon. And he comes to you and he grabs the dragon by the jaw and he opens up its mouth. And now the dragon of sin and death has released you. But it clenches down upon him. And then he becomes like the cross in Isaiah 1 where he is that tree that is burning. He is the tree burning on the cross. And then this dragon swallows him up, the dragon of sin and death. And he is there in the abyss. He is there in hell. And there he opens back up the dragon's mouth and he breaks its jaw. And he rises up out of the grave. And that is true for you if you will go to him by faith. All the things that he has done become things that you have now done that are credited to you. And when that happens to you, you look at him and you say, what can I do to show you how thankful I am? And he says, you already know. Look down the mountain. Look at the ruins. Go and rebuild your life, your family, the city. Let's pray. God, there is much that needs to be done. pray that you'd open our eyes for us to see really the problems that are before us. That we would so get a beautiful vision of heaven and what is to come that we would look on the earth and see that this is not the way things ought to be. And it would stir in us a desire to go down the mountain to build up the ruins. To replace ashes with beauty. God, make us like a seed that dies under the earth, dies to ourself, dies to our selfish ambitions, dies to our sin, dies to our shame, dies to all things so we might come alive in you. Help us leave our old life behind and follow you. Not haphazardly anymore, God, but with intention, with focus on you. Help us to not waste our life, not one second of it. Help us not waste one second in sin, in shame, in guilt. But let us chase after you in all that we do. Let us leave everything at the bottom of the mountain and go all in with you and climb it with you. In Jesus' name, amen.